0: Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio.
1: This is the most awesome podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs sixteen eighteen: 18. Pride going before destruction.
0: Hello, Truth Transistors. Welcome to episode 15 on my podcast, and this is Apostasy Part 3 Gnosticism. Now, the chronological order of when these things came to be is a little bit debatable. Um, Some suggest that Kabbalah started around the Middle Ages and that. Gnosticism begin in the first or second century AD um however I think that a lot of the people we will be listening to um suggest that Gnosticism begin is the very first uh false religion and that all uh, according to one of the uh well you know somebody that I play in here will will clarify that um But they also suggest that Kabbalah started centuries before Christianity, and thus, in terms of this Gnostic idea infiltrating movements, um, the reason I put Kabbalah first is because it infiltrated Judaism first, obviously, and then it infiltrated the church. And it can infiltrate many things in many different ways. So we're going to listen to several people. And they're all going to basically say similar things. But I wanted to give a nod to certain people. <laughs> so um, so I think this will be interesting. Now, more craziness has been happening in this election. It's It's just been insane. But I wanted to kind of go through my... Uh, like the timeline of it and what's been going on in my head throughout it uh so g- going back to the day of the election i watched some late that night and uh you know my first thing was you know no, no surprises the way people were covering it um the electoral college depending on which media uh source you were watching was different uh and it does it seemed that uh fox news obviously seemed to favor trump on that on the election night and they, i think they called arizona early um and then like um overnight um, and, and a lot of the uh states that were left trump was winning on um but the associated press and most of the channels were not calling it yet but as soon as um, Biden got the lead on Arizona the Associated Press called it and it seemed like there was some states that Biden took the lead and as soon as he took the lead they were calling it Uh, Fox News was not as fast to call him but um, it was kind of weird but I mean it wasn't surprising because I know how the the media works and I'm not favoring either side here but it was kind of interesting um well within a few days Trump was proclaiming fraud election fraud maybe even the night of he was saying they were trying to steal the the election and my eyes just rolled I was just thinking okay um you know that's just kind of it's you know Hillary did the same thing four years ago and nothing much came of it some people say it was proven within a couple of years I don't know about that um I didn't pay much attention to that, and I wasn't really planning on paying much attention to this, Um, but then I saw, um, you know, a couple, a few weeks later, Rudy Giuliani was doing a a press conference, but it wasn't on any of the TV stations, it was on uh, some YouTube channel, either NTD or Australian News or whatever, there's been a few that have been covering everything. That might be kind of qanon I'm not sure, but <laughs> um, basically, they were um, talking about the well. Well, Rudy Giuliani did a press conference and basically shared that they had a ton of evidence and that they had thousands of sworn affidavits of witnesses um, and other things, and so that they and they were going to have hearings and things coming up. But when you listen to the mainstream media, they were talking as if it's like they have no evidence and everything they presented has been thrown out in courts over and over again and they've lost like 30 something cases. Uh, but when you listen to, to Rudy Giuliani, he said, We've only had three court hearings, um, you know, things like that. It was just completely different. And then he was presenting a ton of evidence. Now, again, I don't really care who wins this is not based on any bias I'm just telling you what I've seen and what um, the media is saying and what Rudy Giuliani and Trump are saying are two two completely different things now this is a little bit weird because even Fox News has turned against Trump uh, and Rudy Giuliani's claims of of fraud they're kinda backing down from that Um, or they're, they're Fox News might be saying that there's it probably happened, but but we can't really, we might try to stop it from happening next time, but, you know, there's not enough evidence to do it now, blah, blah, blah. But the weirdest thing to me is that they're not even covering the, the hearings, that even Fox News isn't covering the hearings. And I didn't really watch any until December 2nd or 3rd, I saw the Michigan hearings, and seeing several people that were witnesses that were giving sworn statements uh sworn affidavits they had sworn affidavits to back them up and and things um and it's just the odd thing to me was how the um senators a lot of them that were democrats would completely you know they weren't believing any of these things because they said, well, the experts or the, the investigative authorities have already uh, debunked all this. And yet they're th- showing them, you know, the evidence in front of their face. And part of the accusation is that the FBI and the, and the court systems are corrupt. And of course they make it, it's the, it's the Democrats that are corrupt. Um, you know, I think both sides are corrupt, but, um, you know, I really don't know what the truth is. All I know is that what the media is saying about the hearings is not accurate. It's it's very strange. Um, it was kind of funny to see a picture of Rudy Giuliani sweating. And they said he's having a nervous breakdown, which when you watch the whole thing, it doesn't look like he's having a nervous breakdown. He's probably just, of course, it's probably not hot right now, but... Um, yeah, anyway, um, so that was just a little bit of, you know, kind of the timeline, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know that there's a good outcome for America. America is kind of under judgment already. Um, in the Bible, it says homosexuality is, is, when God turns a nation over to homosexuality, it is under judgment already, and so we definitely know that's the case. Uh, here and if Trump was to overcome overtake, um overturn the election and win you know there's going to be rioting going on um, and it's going to escalate from what they've been doing already on the left and of course that's going to lead to martial law because Trump's already used it uh, when they were having those you know riots earlier this year I just think if if the courts overturn the election, that's going to c- cause craziness. Even if, even if fraud was proven, it's going to cause craziness and justify martial law, which I'm against as well. But, um, and then if Biden wins, he's already, the things he's saying and the things Pamela Harris are saying is definitely going to damage things. They're going to have crazy lockdowns and uh, perhaps enforce facts and vaccines. I don't know if it's, you know who knows how it's going to turn out but we know how it's going to turn out in prophecy we don't know exactly how it's going to pan pan out but I think we're heading that direction um with you know global lockdowns happening this year kind of all at the same time just seems like a step towards global control and I think it was a bit of a test really and so um I think we're getting close to the final days, but no fear. L- listen, if you are in, in if you are in Christ, that is where you need to be. Um, our bodies—we're going to die. We're all going to die physically, and the question is not what happens to your body, but what happens to your soul. You know, the the kingdoms of this world, the powers of this world, can kill your body, but they can't kill your soul and there's gonna be a resurrection and if you're on the side of Christ you will have eternal life and uh, how do you get on the side of Christ will you ask Christ to forgive you of your sins he paid for the penalty of your sins so this is really what it's all about and everything that's happening now and everything that's gonna happen in the future um, the th- it's a short time before eternity um, and if you are on the side of Christ you will be victorious forever so this is my encouragement to all of you in these tough times well before we get on with it here's a funny bit from my childhood
1: made by robin I screwed up my face, and you broke my teeth. Score, Joey, score! <laughs> I'll try. I'll missed the do it. Remember me? I need a You gotta make a point, okay? Now I got dentures. Oh no, my dentures fell out. You see, the object... Yeah, it's the win. Okay. Okay. Now go. Throw the ball to me. Try. I got it. I got it. No, you put it. You put. I said, do it in my mouth. Hey, my, my teeth, teeth came teeth. back. Hooray! I think a book. Yeah. Okay, uh, Your Honor, uh, this stupid kid, he broke my teeth, and then he broke my dentures. Hey, Joe, M- Mr. No you're next up to bat. Uh, me? Yes. This is college, not baseball. College? I know, you're in college baseball league. Are you retarded or something? No. Come on, then! Back! Okay. <gasps> I hit myself. Spruik! Oh. One! No, I broke my stomach. Let me try again. Three, two! I broke my head. Spruik! Elbow! Right. <laughs> okay. Ball one, ball two, ball three, full count! Fall ball, fall ball, fall ball, fall ball, fall ball, fall ball, It's a home run! Hooray! Right. Now supposed to run out around the bases! Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Come on Go to first base! Over there! Okay! I'm gonna slide! Wee! <laughs> <laughs> Second base! Uh, I can't. Hey, what are you doing out there on my field?
0: So, once again, that silly ridiculousness was from my childhood. When my cousin and I would get together, we would record silly things. Hope you don't find it too cringeworthy. Maybe get a little chuckle in there. But let's uh, continue with this Gnosticism, and there's gonna be several people I'm gonna play here, so I won't talk much, but um, I'll start with uh, William Cooper, which I've played a bunch of already, but he has a whole episode on Gnosticism, and I picked some clips from that, and I think he gives a pretty strong history, uh, as, um, and then we'll get some other people's perspective as well.
2: Well, to continue, Remember that the first religion in the world was the religion of the worship of the heavens. And man eventually came to recognize the sun as the representation of the power and the ability of the hidden God of the universe, the invisible God of the universe, the all-powerful creator of everything. But man, as he gained his intellectual ability, Began to look toward himself, toward the intellect as that God, and the sun, the representation of what used to be the invisible God of the universe, then became the representation of the intellect, the light, Lucifer. And man began to worship the Luciferian philosophy. He believed. These people who call themselves the guardians of the secrets of the ages and still believe that man was held prisoner in the Garden of Eden by an unjust, vindictive, and very cruel God, the God of the Bible, and that he was set free from the bonds of ignorance through the gift of intellect given to him by Lucifer through his agent, Satan. Now, many people believe that Lucifer and Satan are the same individual entity, and they may be. I don't know the answer to that. I just know what the mystery schools believe, and I know what I personally believe, and what I personally believe doesn't have any bearing on anything. Knowledge, the truth, is what counts. And that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of here. Now, eventually, this philosophy of worshiping the intellect or wisdom or the mind became known as Gnosticism. And the followers of Gnosticism began to be known as the Gnostics. They were not, in fact, a religion like most others because they stressed the importance of the individual before that of the community. Those who were more enlightened were more important in every possible way because they were valuable, refined aristocrats. At the same time, they taught that providing the well-being of the Gnostics was assured. So was that of the community at large, and this meant that they could subscribe to the outward doctrines of any religion and could continue to operate under many different political religious systems. Gnosticism profoundly influenced men's minds even in Europe. Up to and after the Middle Ages and its basic way of thinking is probably an underlying factor in other secret societies whose members would be surprised to know it because the pyramidal organizational structure of the membership of these organizations means that nobody below the top, the very top, really knows anything of the true religion and goals of the society to which they belong. And so these people could truly be said to be the greatest group of followers and fools in the history of the world. For they think that they are illumined. But in fact, they are never given any real secrets, and only those at the top truly know what is really going on. The rise of individuals who wrongly believed that they had attained to gnosis, all knowledge, some of whom were leaders of Gnostic societies, produced very notorious characters. Those who followed the way of the Ophite branch glorified the serpent who tempted Eve, and they still do that today. They did this because this snake, by his actions, brought knowledge into the world, gave man the gift of intellect, the use of which will bring him to the state of apotheosis, where man himself will be God. The Mandeans, a small but tenacious community which dwells in Iraq, follow an ancient form of Gnosticism, which practices initiation, ecstasy, and some rituals which have been said to resemble those of the Freemasons. And of course they do, because they are. (laughs) In every Masonic temple you will see somewhere up on the wall a big letter G, and you will see it in their symbology, in their books, you will see this letter G. And if you ask a Freemason, being bound to the oath never to tell you or reveal the secrets to the profane, which is what they call those who are not initiates or adepts in the mysteries, he will tell you that it stands for God, but that is a lie, does not stand for God for I have researched it deeply all the way up the ladder of the stages of initiation. And at the top, those adepts known as the priesthood know this large leturgy to represent Gnosticism. And it is an admission that they are indeed the recipients of the ancient Gnostic. They are Gnostics, and they are looking to attain the Gnosis, through which they will receive apotheosis. And they believe that they are the only ones in the world who possess truly mature minds, and thus are the only ones in the world capable of ruling the rest of us, whom they refer to as cattle.
0: So once again, that's William Cooper, and I'll leave a link for the entire episode about Gnosticism and you know it seems like we're kind of doing some repetition here but I think it's very important to kind of get the, get the hang of this now just in case you think this is all conspiracy theory what I would like to do now is play somebody a bit more traditional um, his name's Ryan Reeves you can find all uh, his that's the name of his YouTube channel and he's kind of a uh, uh... traditional uh... historian uh, ch- church historian and he has some pretty interesting videos but he he has a tendency to downplay any kind of conspiracy but in this one he says some things that i think is pretty um, kind of backs up what william cooper is saying now he doesn't quite go that as far as william cooper but um, there's some interesting things to note in here so Here is Ryan Reeves.
3: In this lecture, we're going to be looking at Gnosticism and the earliest church's problems with this movement. And we've separated Gnosticism from the other early Christian heresies, in part because it's both an important subject on its own within the context of the earliest couple of centuries of the church, but also because Gnosticism continues to pop up here and there in modern scholarship and in even the popular awareness of the ancient church. And there's widespread confusion or misperception in some areas as to the nature of Gnosticism in the early church. Gnosticism is not simply a single set of beliefs that was adhered to and you were initiated into. Rather, there are trends. Gnosticism has a certain impulse within it on a number of fronts, theologically. And more and more people are beginning to become aware of the diversity of opinion within Gnosticism. And that's really not too much of a problem. The issue was, in the past, is that all we really had to go on when we were discussing Gnosticism, let's say 150 years before the discovery of the Nag Hammadi, all we really had to discuss Gnosticism were the books that countered Gnosticism amongst Orthodox Christians. Take one of the great examples of this, Irenaeus. Now, Irenaeus was a bishop. He lived in Gaul, which is in the modern, sort of southern France, Swiss regions. And Irenaeus turned his guns on the Gnostic movements as a whole in his book Against the Heresies. And for Irenaeus, Gnosticism is a single movement, and he describes, at least in general, the overall tone of Gnosticism as a single group. And historians, particularly in the last 25 years, have done a good job of at least adding some color and variety to our understanding of Gnosticism, based in large part on our understanding of the Nag Hammadi, as well as other research that's going on. And so we don't want to stumble into using Irenaeus too much and describing Gnosticism, again, as a single philosophy. But we also want to be careful that the presence of a variety of different opinions doesn't somehow seize us up or cause us anxiety when we attempt to describe the philosophy of Gnosticism as a general movement. Well, who are the Gnostics? Simply put, the Gnostics are a group of people that have a set of philosophies and views related to the created world, salvation, and the life of the believer. The word Gnostic actually comes from the Greek root word gnosis, or gnostikos, which just simply means knowledge. A Gnostic was someone who believed that he or she had a certain enlightenment or a certain spiritual knowledge that only they had because they were part of this Gnostic faith. And it's important to note that Gnosticism and another movement called Manichaeanism in this period, essentially is what I call a smorgasbord philosophy. When you look at Gnosticism, it has elements of Christianity within it, but it is purposely setting itself over and against the Christian church and over against the Christian scriptures. And one of the ways that it does so is by grabbing and pulling from other philosophies, religions, and viewpoints of the ancient world. Gnosticism, in other words, is an amalgam And given that it comes after Christianity, and given that many of its texts seek to correct or edit or change elements of the scriptural accounts as we know them of the Christian scriptures, it's that much of a stretch to say that Gnosticism is a purposeful heresy. Well, the core of Gnosticism in general is a collection of opinions that focus essentially on shunning the material world. The core of it, in other words, is something like a mystical belief or a dualism between the material order and the spiritual order. Now, that word dualism is often fought over. Some argue that some Gnosticisms don't have dualism, that they're sort of a monism of material orders and spiritual orders. But I mean dualism here somewhat benignly. For most Gnostics, for most who are followers of this trend, they simply have an aversion to the material world. In fact, one of the big things that is very, very common in Gnosticism is the development of creation myths or creation stories about how the created world got made. It is not made, in other words, through the creation of a benevolent God who makes creation and then man in his image. In most Gnostic stories, it's an evil God or some kind of low-ranked deity who fumbles and bumbles into creating the natural order. Well, just as Gnostics have a problem with the created world, or with the physical world, they also have an alternative view of salvation. For most Gnostics, salvation is some form of self-denial, some sort of ascetic life. That, they believed, led them to some sort of enlightenment, some sort of deeper spiritual awareness. Now, that actually makes some sense if the physical world is a lie. If our bodies lie to us, if our lusts and our passions are some of the things that are evidence of the evil of this created world, well, denying them, fasting, sexual abstinence, these kinds of good works are said to lead one down a path of spiritual enlightenment, hence the name Gnostics as being the ones of knowledge. Well, if that's the essential core of it, I think in the end there are what I like to call three Gnostic fundamentals that we can all appreciate and understand, at least the impulses within Gnosticism. Well, the first fundamental is simply that the world isn't real. It's a bit like the Matrix, actually. The real world around you is not the real world. It's ephemeral and it's lying to you. When they argue that the world isn't real, what they mean is there's no truth to be discovered within it. Truth is enlightenment. It's some sort of mystical experience of something beyond this world. There's nothing to be learned of truth in this world. And you can see something of an analogy to this in some of the neo-pagan, new-agey movements today. This sort of seeking after nirvana, this idea of spiritual enlightenment as trumping anything that we can really access in this world. The second Gnostic fundamental, as I call it, flows out of that first one, and it is hatred of the material world. This is specifically about creation. And by hatred of it, I mean, again, that it's somewhat icky, it's somewhat gross that written into the DNA of every physical thing of this created world is something rotten. This belief that evil, that sin, is somehow physical or it's related to our physical bodies. This is one of the core essentials of a generally Gnostic approach to faith in general. And the third and the last core conviction of, frankly, all Gnostics is what I call elitist knowledge or secret knowledge. And what I mean by this is there is no major impulse within Gnosticism to spread or evangelize. They really see themselves as elite, they see themselves as having some sort of mystical, personal, spiritual knowledge that only they can access. It's something just for them. There's no widespread evangelism movement, they want to be left alone, these kinds of things. If you look at the movements today in modern America of Scientology and Kabbalah, both of these have heavy representation in Hollywood, in certain areas of the upper crust of the elites, people of wealth and means. Well, when was the last time someone from the Scientology church came to your door with tracks trying to convert you? (laughs) They don't have that. In fact, Scientology privileges itself on not sharing its core convictions or its philosophies. There are all kinds of conspiracy theories about it, these kinds of things. But that impulse is still there. And it's frankly one of the same impulses that's in Gnosticism. This idea that if you're a Gnostic, you're one of the you're one of those who have the knowledge, and therefore you are privileged and elite, and you don't really want to share this with other people. You want to meet in secret in some way. So
0: here's a guy that is a traditional, educational, uh, you know, seminary kind of guy. Doesn't he seems to kind of downplay any kind of conspiracy ideas? Yet he mentions uh, secret knowledge and hidden knowledge, and so um, I don't know if I. If it was on this clip, I'll I'll, uh, leave a a link to the entire episode as well, Uh, but he does seem to claim that Gnosticism started at the time of, or after Christ, and he, I think he's talking about the word Gnosticism, but, um, but he might have mentioned Kabbalah as well, but I think most traditional historians believe Kabbalah started much later, so I don't know. But anyway... I thought that was all interesting and it kind of backs up what the others are saying. So the next uh, clip we're going to listen to is from a video channel called Unlearn the Lies and this guy's got some pretty interesting stuff as well.
4: The term Gnosticism is derived from the Greek word gnosis meaning knowledge because secret knowledge was so important to the Gnostics. Gnosticism forced its way into prominence during the first few centuries and the apostles and early Christian leaders opposed this heresy. In fact, much of early Christian writings were focused on addressing the threat of Gnosticism. It is important for us to understand the Gnostics and their relationship to early Christianity because it will better help us understand certain New Testament verses that are written in direct opposition to Gnosticism. It's also important for us to understand this heresy so that we can identify its influence on the modern church and so that we can avoid repeating their mistakes. The Gnostics were a heretical movement based in early Judeo-Christian beliefs and did not, uh, did not usually refer to themselves as Gnostics, but they simply thought of themselves as Christians or followers of Jesus or enlightened ones. Historians and scholars have sought to find its origins, but with no consensus. Some suggest Hellenism and Greek thought, while others say it is rooted in Babylonian thought. Jewish Gnosticism predates Christianity by hundreds of years, and Judaism was in close contact with Babylonian, Persian, and Hellenistic ideas for hundreds of years, which led to Jewish Gnostic beliefs. The early church father Arrhenius, who wrote uh, five volume book on the subject called Against Heresies, believed that all heresies were rooted in Gnosticism, and thus any heretic was deemed a Gnostic. Most Gnostics hold to the belief in two deities, one who is perfectly good and the other who is perfectly evil. They taught that the evil god was the creator of the world and all matter, and was also the god of the Jews. In fact, they viewed the serpent in Eden As a good character who tried to help Adam and Eve find knowledge and escape the created world. These Christian Gnostics believed in Jesus, Yeshua, but taught that he was the Son of God, uh, that he was the Son of the good deity, and that he was sent to oppose the evil Creator God of the Old Testament. The Apostle John wrote against the Gnostics when he spoke about the spirit of the Antichrist, saying, He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. The Gnostics rejected the God of the Old Testament, claiming that Jesus was a different and unrelated God from that of creation, denying the Father and the Son. In fact, one of the leading Gnostic teachers, Marcion, taught that Jesus came to rescue mankind from the material world so that we could live eternally in heaven. Marcion was originally a Christian bishop, but around the year 144 AD, he concluded that the teachings of Jesus were incompatible with the actions of the God of the Old Testament, and he developed a dualistic belief system that he used to reconcile the supposed contradictions he saw between the Hebrew Scriptures and the teachings of Jesus and Paul. His beliefs led him to completely reject the Hebrew Scriptures and the God of the Jews, claiming the Creator was a vengeful and violent being. Like many Gnostics, he taught that Jesus did not come in the flesh, but that His incarnation and suffering were merely appearance only. This was the exact heresy John was writing about when he said, "...and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world." These Gnostics followed the spirit of the Antichrist that John was warning about. John had a disciple named Polycarp, who led the assembly in Smyrna. Polycarp was noted for keeping the true faith, and was regarded as one of the apostolic fathers of the of the second century. According to the martyrdom of Polycarp, he died as a martyr, bound and burned at the stake. With that in mind, read what Yeshua had to say to his faithful servant Polycarp in the book of Revelation. "Enter the angel of the church of Smyrna, write: These things says the first and the last, who was and who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and that you, uh, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death." Many have speculated about what the synagogue of Satan was in reference to, but I am convinced that it was a statement against the Gnostics who claimed to follow Jesus. The Gnostics were the major heretic threat during the first few centuries, and they thought of themselves as the true Christians, claiming to follow Jesus. However they were considered false teachers by the Apostles. Arrhenius mentioned on an occasion when Marcion said to Polycarp, Recognize us, Polycarp? To which Polycarp responded, Yes, indeed, I recognize the firstborn of Satan. Irenaeus also said that one of the reasons John wrote his gospel was to refute the views of early Gnostics. John emphasized that Jesus was God's incarnate Son who came in the flesh. to to defend against the Gnostic teaching that the true God would not take on flesh. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth."
0: So again, there's some more um, about Gnosticism from Unlearn the Lies, and I'll leave a link to that whole uh, video as well. So. Um, yeah, and we also heard a little bit more about like how they don't believe that the physical world there's anything good from the physical world, and how many uh, modern heresies have come out of that. We'll discuss more um, on the next clip. Um, first, uh, here's a song by a group called Western Justice, and this was kind of uh, the way I know about this is the main artist uh, singer, one of the singers of this uh, and I think the singer of this song was a manager of my favorite band, the Beach Boys and this is not very popular at all but um, so I'm going to share it and I don't know that you can, I don't know where you can find it if it's on iTunes or not but you can find it on YouTube um, and probably order the album if you were interested in it um, by looking up the the name but I'll, I'll leave a link to this song on youtube as well so this is called much to discover and i think it kind of fits in with this secret knowledge or <laughs> seeking secret knowledge so here it is <laughs>
1: I will listening to you. I never tired of sharing that you. But for now, let's
0: justice or that that's the name of the album it's the artists are jack riley and my mikhail bachman or something like that and i'll leave a link to the song below so this last uh audio we're going to hear is from a pastor roberta morrison she's one of my favorite pastors on youtube um and i will leave a link uh it's more of what we've heard already um she gets deeper it's it's kind of a re- it's a really good message as well but i think um i kind of wanted to give a plug to her uh, and to her messages because um, she gets deep into this stuff as well and so and it kind of connects to some of the uh, modern heresies so all right so here's roberta morrison talking about gnosticism in sheep's clothing i think is the name of this sermon
5: a subject if you get this message <laughs> if you just get this message uh i'm going to sh- expose some things um uh, in about gnosticism so whatever the enemy is the enemy tries to do whatever the en- the lord does the enemy tries to counterfeit yeah. so there's a true and then there's a counterfeit the truth is simple the enemy counterfeits and he and always makes it complicated and that's what happened in the garden of eden The simplicity of the gospel gets twisted, so we have to know God is a simple God, and he wants the Bible for all. It's not the special elite, but let's look in Acts chapter 8 to start with, and we're going to look about what Gnosticism is, because if you don't know what it is, we don't know what we've allowed in our lives, and we don't know what to look for, and we don't know why we should resist it. But Gnosticism um, started, it's not new, it's old, but what happens in one generation, it crawls, but the next one, one it runs, <laughs> and it leaps, and it gets bigger. If you don't know what it is, it continues to crawl, run, walk, you know what I'm saying? So here in the Bible, it talks about Gnosticism, but we didn't know what it was. We don't know who the Gnostics were. Gnostics means knowledge, but we don't know who they are, so we don't know how to rightly discern. We don't know how to judge, and we think that what some of these other teachers are teaching today is what we should be learning because we have to get back to the power of the gospel, which is in the Bible, and rightly test and try every spirit. If you don't test a spirit, you won't know if it's from God or not. So a lot of people, well, don't judge, don't, don't touch that. Well, then you won't know. You are ca- commanded by God to judge and to rightly look at fruit. And the spiritual fruit that's happening nowadays is causing people to get mystical, to get super spiritual, to get totally not facing reality. And it didn't come in. Now, this next move that we're, we're seeing happening now on the horizon, what they're calling the new move, it's always got to be something new because Gnosticism has to be new. It's progressive revelation. The old stale word isn't enough. You've got to have something fresh. Uh, there's so much. But um, we're going to look at a Gnostic here in, in Acts chapter 8, Simon, verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before in the time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one. Gnosticism always elevates man. There is such a scale of what Gnosticism is. It's really hard to just, there's so many different sects of it. So I'm just going to try, as I'm learning myself, um, to just give you what I've learned, but Gnosticism always elevates and there's always a super race. There's always the Nicolaitans. There's always those that have, that are giving to the have nots. Well, how, you know, God doesn't see that way. There's no class with God. He loves us all. There's not this elite, this special elite. And then those that have to, um, worship the elite. Okay. Um, These are basic things, but if you don't get the basic things, what's coming in the next five years is going to unbelievably surpass. We have got to get these basics down of what Gnosticism is because it's going to be an end-time revival of Gnosticism. So we have to know what it is. It's important, and we we also have to get out and repent of the Gnosticism that we sincerely thought was God, that we've allowed, that I've allowed, we've all allowed in our lives because we were taught this was the Bible. OK, so we're all standing before God needing to be humbled. But first of all, they always want to be great to him that they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying, This man is the great power of God. We don't follow power. We don't follow fame. Now, the difference is I do believe in the glory. I do believe in visions. I do believe in dreams. I've had some I've had some that were from God and some that were not right? So how do you test it? And the other thing is we don't go seeking these things. We get in trouble when we make formulas and we do things saying that this is how God's going to move. God will do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. There's no formula. There's no way of getting into the glory that you make God manifest himself. We worship him. And we don't seek these things. If God wants to give us something, that's a whole different story, right? But when we go after running after men to go get words, this is big now. We've got to get a prophecy. We've got to get something from God. And we were trained in this, oh, this man, this prophet's going to come in and give you a word. And we forget our word and say, well, I want a prophet prophecy out loud. Well, then read the word out loud. There you go. because. But we've gotten into this thing of thinking that God is going to move certain ways and we've really turned our back on the way God said he's going to speak to us. And it's very subtle. And in every generation it's more subtle. But now I think what's happening, it's going to get full blown out in your face because things are moving fast. And the new world order, the new world religion, is it's never going to be stop worshiping. That's what we thought. Well, we're going to get persecuted because they're going to not let Christians. No, it's going to be worship. The enemy wants to be worshiped. So the problem is, it's going to be infiltrated in our worship. So we have to know when the infiltration, how the infiltration is, what it is. That's what we need to know. What Gnosticism is, because the end times, it's going to be emerging of all of these religions and attacking Christianity. That is the attack is on the truth. So there's going to be subtle all these things, but it's already been in our midst that mo- most people have, and I have as clueless. I was like, I knew that wasn't right. I knew people died that shouldn't have died because they didn't face reality. They thought they were living in faith, but actually what's been taught to us isn't faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing what? The word of God. Do you want more faith? Read the Bible. And obedience comes. You're like, oh, faith comes to forgive people. You read the Bible on forgiveness. You get faith for that. You end up going and you what? Submit yourself unto what the word says and you do what it says. So there's simple little things that we know, but we've also allowed another spirit to come in because we we were taught, I got saved and thrown into this Gnostic spirit right away thinking it was God. And so have most of you. So this is heavy, but hang on if you want to learn, because we always have to humble ourselves. So they they go after power. And he said here, what were they using? The occult, sorcery. Verse 13, then Simon himself believed also. When he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now there are true signs and wonders. So if there's true ones, guess what? There's also going to be false ones. So how do you know the difference? You have to learn to test and try everything. There's a lot of times we just, well, I'm going to walk in love. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to love that and I'm going to embrace it. If you continually do this, you're going to be a New Age Gnosticist. This is the way it's turning now in the churches today. So you have to say, I, I don't want to deny Jesus, but that's what they're doing. They're denying the Bible, and they have another gospel and another Jesus. And so we have to know, what is this other gospel? Oh, some people say, just study the real one and the false ones will manifest. You have to know the difference. That's why you have to rightly discern. You have to discern you know, between the skin of a chicken and the fat. I'm going to get rid of the skin. I'm going to peel that. Well, just, you know what I'm saying? People are just saying, well, you don't, you just study the Bible and you'll know the false. No, you have to know both. Now, I don't, I don't think you should go into demonic things of learning, but there's people that have been in these realms that are telling you this is here. We don't want to hearken unto what they've already learned and known. we just like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I just want to hear something positive. Truth isn't just positive. To have a balance, you have to have the positive and the negative. That's why God gave you a husband. That's why God gave you a wife. You need balance. You need people in your life that don't see things the way you do. Why? Because none of us have it all. I'll tell you that. God's too smart to give one person all of it. But then Simon said to himself, and he believed, he was baptized, he continued. Now here's the signs and wonders. But now he wants to he wants to get what they got. Now, this is the thing. We have to be content with what God's given us. We have to say, Lord, you've given me this ability. I can only do things through Christ who strengthens me. Stop coveting what other people have. What has God given you? What can you do? Whatever it is, your gift, you've got to do what you can do with what God's given you and not just be envious and jealous of what somebody else's gift is. Why? Because to whatever God's given you, much is required right so we just have to be thankful and so this guy isn't he wants what somebody else has I want that gift that they, now what do I do to get that gift who do I have to climb where do I have to go who do I have to know to get to be who's to be something see what I mean this is what we've been basically taught that if you don't have this huge influence and if you don't do this and that you're not so well I'm just saying what God are you following the true gospel it's very simple you obey God, you surrender to him, you pick up your cross, you do what God's asked you to do. Um, now they're telling you if you don't give so much, you got to increase your income by giving. Amen. And they take this seed principle. That's not in the Bible. You simply obey, you yield, you do what you're supposed to do, and all these people are thinking they're going to have all these great incomes, and that now what happened? They're all backslidden. They found out that didn't work. They thought they could confess certain things that didn't happen. Now where do you find them? They won't even go to church. They feel the church has bewitched them. <coughs> So we, we don't want more people being shipwrecked, so we have to go to the roots of this stuff. So what does he say? He says, I want this power. I want to, I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the hands, what did he do? He offered him money, yeah. saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Well, it's no different with the Gnosticism. They want power. They want the glory. They want fame. And that has got to be ripped out of our life. We have got to say, Lord, no flesh shall glory. My flesh won't glory. I'm just here to do what you want me to do, no more, no less. Um, But when Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. This is a rebuke. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this manner, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. And then he says to repent. Okay, so this is a a little bit of what Gnosticism is. And the term, it means revelation knowledge. Now, we've been taught up thinking you have to have revelation knowledge. Now, there is a truth to a lot of this stuff, but it's twisted. The term revelation knowledge, uh, Gnosticism, was given to the chosen ones. They were enlightened. They had knowledge of God that was exclusive above others. They taught the spirit is asleep and ignorant and needs to be awakened and liberated by this special knowledge. They believe salvation came by knowledge. Now we know, so this is an Antichrist spirit. This is Freemasonry. This is Mormonism. This is a lot of other things, but it's also in our churches. They believe salvation came by knowledge and experience, not the word of God. They received direct revelation from the spirit, which was more important than the Bible. Gnosticism, says the word is not complete and it's not enough. Okay? Now there's... We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and when we really read the Word, we have been, even in the last 30, 40 years, taught, really, the Bible's boring. Go to get a real word, a fresh word from somebody that's really you know in the third heaven, that's went to heaven, that's went to glory, and they'll come back and tell you what it is. So little by little, you say, ah, this stale old Bible, it's no good. I mean, there's been something in our, our churches that have made the Bible kind of irrelevant. So that's why it's irrelevant. We need something new. We need a new Bible. We need a new movement. We need change. We need to be reset. We need to be re-elevated. All of this is masonry. Do you know that? We are complete in him. You are complete. The anointing abides within you. You don't have to go run off and go get more anointings. It's in you. You're the teacher, he's in you. But they're running around trying to get this revealed knowledge. Um, knowing God through a written book was considered head knowledge. You don't want head knowledge, Rick. you got to have revelation knowledge. You don't want logos. Oh, I could get off on this. you got to have the rhema. The Gnostics offered experiential knowledge, the deeper things that came from the Spirit. Revelation knowledge was alive, a new wineskin gospel that that moves in what? Signs and wonders. The camp meetings, the empowerments, the convergence, new word backed by the Catholic Church, convergence movements, all going back into, a lot of these things have started off walking and crawling, and the next few years, we're going to see a movement of running towards a one-world religion Um, that moves in signs and wonders. God's doing a new thing, revealed how through angels and visitation. Gnosticism has come inside the church and is having a revival. So in Colossians 2, 8 through 23 is talking about Gnosticism. 1 Timothy 1 four, Second 2 Timothy 2 16 through 19, Titus uh, 10 through 16, angelic visitations and fables and false solo- philosophies. This new world religion is very, very planned, very, very organized. It's not new. It's, it, this, this deception is, has started in the Garden of Eden, but it's progressed. So we don't follow strange voices. We follow the Bible, okay? We have a generation now that is being told, uh, you know, just meditate, get into total silence and quiet, get in contemplative prayer and breathe, and, you know, the voices that come to you are God. Today the prophets and their apostles are saying, step over into the supernatural. Step over, step over, get out of your head. Get out of your head. That's head knowledge. Get over into the spirit. Get over into the realm. Doesn't that sound good? Guess what? You you have a mind and you're supposed to use it. Renew your mind. It doesn't say get rid of your mind. Step over into the supernatural. Experience becomes the teacher and gives them what? Real knowledge. The Gnostics, that word Gnostic means no, they believe the real knowledge came by G- God speaking directly to you. The practice of sensory denial is part of the metaphys- metaphysical cults. Things that are Uh, thought to exist but can't be seen by the five physical senses. Metaphysical means beyond nature. What is metaphysical cults? It's a philosophy. The Bible warns us not to go off into philosophies, right? That question of, of being, becoming, and existing, and the metaphysics make you question your reality. The Gnostic view is an Eastern mystic. It's secret knowledge, worship of angels, Passed down to the insiders. Now, everybody wants to be on the inside. Everyone wants to know stuff that no one else knows. Isn't that part of, this is the temptation. Eve wanted to know stuff she wasn't supposed to know. God keeps it simple. The devil will twist it. You've got to be a part of this society so you're going to know things that other people don't know. You're going to have power that other people don't have. You're going to progress. You're going to elevate. You need to be reset. So a bit of repetition there, but I wanted to
0: give several different people's uh, perspectives. And I think Gnosticism is something very important uh, in terms of truth-seeking and understanding uh, the deception, um, that Gnosticism is the root of many, many things. And, you know, most Uh, I mean, mostly it started in the Garden of Eden. I mean, apparently it's rooted in that idea. But also um, many of the things of allegorizing. So let's say God plainly gives us the truth. And the way that Satan will deceive believers is by claiming that you can't understand the truth unless some guru tells you what it means. And of course, by allegorizing things through Kabbalah, as we mentioned in the last episode, and Christian Gnosticism. And I didn't really mention this, but there's Gnostic Gospels, the Gospel of uh, Thomas, the Gospel of uh, Peter, there's others. Anyway, um, I think the Gospel of Judas is one. Um, But all of these Gnostic Gospels that were written Two or three hundred years after Christ, that uh, have blatant gospel g- g- gnostic messages in them. So, um, this was you know definitely at work from the very beginning, and Satan, Satan, had, the same thing he did with Kabbalah, which I think came, goes back to when Israel was in Babylon. In captivity in Babylon. So, um, Satan will take the written text that God inspired and twist it and say that the hidden meaning is actually this. And it ends up meaning some esoteric, uh, you know, pagan heresy. But, uh, yeah. So, this is what opens the door for many uh, different heresies, and we will get be getting into more apostasies uh, in, in future episodes. All right, thank you all, and have a wonderful day.
1: This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs sixteen eighteen. 18, Pride Goeth Before Destruction.